Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and today we're continuing our series on King James-onlyism. We are going through the part of this series where we're just going to keep responding to objections on very particular passages of Scripture that is used by King James-onlyists. Now, a couple things. One, if you want, uh, this is a series you should totally only watch on video. A lot of you audio listeners, I know you don't necessarily want to, but you totally should because one, we have visual aids. Two, <laughs> you get to see the evolution of Will. You get to see me from clean shaven to where I am now with a big beard. And you get to see me with bleached hair. And why do I have bleached hair? Uh, because I got stupid during quarantine and me and some friends got wild and it was a fun, it was fun. Uh, and then uh, it didn't last long because it drove me crazy. So then I had to unbleach my hair because I was like, yep, that was fun for two days time to get rid of it. So uh, yeah, you get to see all sorts of fun things when you, when you watch this particular series. Also, you get to see our studio uh, get built up from the ground up. You get to see us uh, get new cameras and all sorts of great things until we get this fun little swing that we got going now. So watching it on video is a lot more interesting because you get to see the whole evolution of the church split in our new studio. So anyway, today we are jumping into Daniel 325. Now, why is it that I'm doing this? You know, that's a question that a lot of people wonder, you know, uh, I've probably gotten outside of atheists on my atheistic kind of response videos. I've gotten more vitriol from the King James only community on my King James only videos than any other community are probably out there. And a lot of them bring up verses like what we're going to talk about today. Uh, you can actually go to part one and check out the comments and you'll see a lot of them. And what you'll notice in a, with a lot of with a lot of them, if you're a King James Onlyist, don't feel like I'm attacking you, by the way. I'm not attacking you. I believe there's that uh, I'm a big advocate that ideas and doctrines are not people. I love people and I love you and I love um, I love the church, which is why I do this because I think church I think truth is important uh, in these in these in these manners matters matters in these matters. That's the word I'm looking for. So thank you guys for for just chiming in. And if you're a King James Onlyist and you're still watching these videos, I commend you. Many people do not want watch that which that that much of content that they disagree with. And so it's, it shows something that you're willing to do that. Then the other issue is, is of course, that some people watch part one, which is literally my introduction to the controversy and are like, what? There's no substance here. And they, they instantly jump in and attack that particular video or um, podcast, which is funny because it's literally only meant to serve as an introduction and to get into the meat of it later. But um, some people don't quite get there yet. And so thank you guys. Thank you all for watching. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe. It literally costs you nothing. We get a lot of traffic and like 81% of people who come don't actually subscribe. So, but we get all the searches. I don't understand that. Just subscribe, hit the like button. It'll help us grow and it costs you nothing. And if you want to cost yourself something, go to our Patreon page. You can check us out there. So anyway, thank you guys. Um, so today we are jumping into Daniel 3.25. And you know, this is an important topic because the word of God is extremely important. The word of God is the very foundation by which we base our faith. So we need to know our, our word of God is accurate. Now, granted, these are all translations 
translations of manuscripts, and we have to understand that. I covered that in our history videos. But today, we are going to be talking about this situation with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for those of you who do not know, their names were not always Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, uh, Shadrach uh, was Hananiah, then there was uh, Meshach, who used to be Mishael, and Abednego was Azariah. And for the Hebrews, this was a big deal when their names was changed by the king, by, by the by the people there, because the name your name is supposed to carry a meaning. So for that was actually a pretty big deal. But anyway, for those who are not familiar with the story of what I'm about ready to read to you, the quick recap is that the king Nebuchadnezzar was in charge. He required everyone to worship an idol, and everyone would bow down at said idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose not to, and the punishment was death. And so the king made a giant fire in a furnace and threw them into the furnace. But when he threw them into the furnace to kill them, to make an example of them, something else happened because these three men were serving the one true God and God intervened directly to show his power here. Now keep in mind, Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan king. He did not believe in the true God of Israel. He did not believe in the God you and I worship today. So in Daniel 3.25, in the King James, it says this, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And if you read this in the English Standard Version or many other English translations, it'll read something like this. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, yours might say the son of the gods, a son of the gods, or if you're using the King James or New King James, it'll say the son of God. Now, what's funny about this is what's crazy, I mean, could you imagine that? Like you threw these guys in this furnace that no one could even get close to without dying, and you threw them in and there's a fourth guy and they're all just like chilling out unscathed by the flames. That'd be enough to freak anyone out. But the contention of this particular passage comes in the form of that last phrase, the son of God, or is it a son of the gods? The King James Onlyist would say that this fourth person who entered, who appeared divinely inside the furnace was Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, to remove son of God here is to remove Jesus from the story. You know, and then the book of John and all these other areas makes very clear that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And they're seeing this as a foreshadowing of Jesus in the future, um, which actually has a great, like, it does have a nice flavor to it. That, that, that it sounds great. Like, oh, there's foreshadowing. This was Jesus before it, they knew it was Jesus. But that's actually kind of part of the problem here. And we're going to talk about this. But first and foremost, we have to understand that there's usually an explanation for any of these trans translational shifts. Don't always just depend on me to find these. You can go look them up yourself. So, uh, and also be careful if you're going to like AV1611 websites or kjvtoday.com and stuff, because those entire websites are only built to validate the one and that one side side, and you're not going to get the true other side of things. You're only going to get a slant, and it's, it, yet we have to be careful not to go to completely biased sites when it comes to checking some of these things. You know, I always, always check both. Uh, that is what I would go with there and see which one stands up stronger on its two feet. So let's first talk about this. Uh, so the book of Daniel is actually largely written in Aramaic. Uh, for whatever reason, it's right in, in the middle. It's written in Hebrew in the beginning and Hebrew at the end, but in the middle is all Aramaic. And for those of you who are are not familiar, the New Testament of your uh, in your Bible was written in Koine Greek, and you, most of your Old Testament is written in ancient Hebrew, which is actually different than modern Hebrew. And then, so there's an ancient Hebrew, and then sometimes in small, some areas there's Aramaic, which is a different old tongue. So, 
This is Aramaic, which means the rules are different. And in this area, it's actually kind of uh, reversed. Okay, so when it whenever in Hebrew when it refers to God, many of you guys know this already. But the word for God in Hebrew is Elohim, which is the perfect plural tense, which is a plural tense, which shows the plurality of God. If you watch my Trinity videos, you're aware of that. Um, so Elohim is Hebrew in the plural, and but Elohim with an N, so not M with M and M, but N as in a nun. Uh, Elohim is. Uh, Aramaic, and it means uh, it can mean God or gods, and the and this entire phrase in Daniel three twenty five is basically Bar Elohim, and Bar means son of, so son of, or so son of Elohim. Now, what is Elohim? Elohim with an N is a masculine plural noun, which means gods. So it's plural, just like Elohim. With an M is plural, but where Elohim with an M is referring to the one true God in Hebrew, Elohim is meaning multiple gods in Aramaic. Okay, it's a plur the plurality actually applies as meaning plural, um, one hundred percent. So such a word, this word is often used to describe pagan gods. Elohim is used to describe pagan gods during that time, in contrast to the God of Israel. Now, the God of Israel oftentimes is just referred to as Elah or Elaha which is the singular form of Elohim, okay? Which, if you're listening to this in audio, I apologize, because all you're hearing is phlegm at this point, right? <laughs> you have Elach, Elaha, and Elohim, and it's just very all confusing. Now, Elach or Elaha, the singular forms, they can mean the one true God of Israel or pagan God, just like our word God can do the same thing, right? When I say God, I could be meaning a pagan God, or I could mean the one true God. Or, you know, so if you say gods, you could be meaning plural tense God, or you could be meaning multiple gods, right? So context kind of dictates if Elach or Elaha are, in fact, the true God of Israel or a pagan God, okay? And I need you guys to understand that when we're jumping into this. So the context is what dictates this. So in Daniel 2.47, we see this written out, and it says, The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth, it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldest reveal this secret. Now, for those who do not know, the, he, the uh, Hebrew, the Aramaic here says this, the king answered unto Daniel and said of a truth, it is that your God, Elaha, okay, is a God, Elach, of gods, Elachin. Okay, so your your Elaha is a Elach of Elachin. <laughs> oh, I'm just having too much fun saying these words actually at this point. But anyway, so and then Daniel three seventeen, right before the Son of God statement comes, uh, it says, "If it be so, our God, which is Elaha, the singular." whom ye serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. So again, we're seeing that when he, so your God, your God is a God. So he's saying singular of God's Elohim, okay? Now, granted, not all the time is it always meaning, is Elach or Elaha always meaning 
the one true God of Israel. So now let's fast forward to the next area, which says in Daniel 3.25, it says, he back to that verse, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And on the form of, of the fourth is like the son of God, which is Elach. So this goes back into a singular typically, but also sometimes you'll find it saying Elohim depending on the manuscript. So that's funny because you'll see both here. You'll see the plurality of gods or you'll see Elach meaning uh, it could be meaning the one true God of Israel or it could be meaning a pagan God. But uh, verse 26 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, Elach or Elachin, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. So, with this being said, a couple things. In many Many, 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 many manuscripts. You find Elohim when it says the son of Elohim, which is the plural, which is gods. And some you find Elach, from what I can, from what I've understood when I've looked into this. I could be, it's okay to correct me if I'm wrong on there. Don't hyper fact check me on that. But from what I'm reading, I've seen it both ways in two different interlinears. Okay, two different interlinears. I've seen one say Elacha and one say Elach. Either way, it's either referring to multiple gods or a singular god. Well, if it's multiple gods, if it's plural, Elohim, then it's clearly not referring to the Son of God as in Jesus. If it's Elach, it could mean that, but since the other things are showing as a plural, like Elohim, it's probably safe to say that it's actually referring to a, a pagan god, right? Now think about this, if for those who are going, whoa, hold up, but what about removing Jesus? I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was a shock even to Israel at the time, who did not, uh, you know, were, they didn't realize that Jesus was going to claim himself to be the Son of God. They knew he would call himself God. You know, there's all these other prophecies, but the Hebrew understanding was that he'd be a man who came to establish the throne, which is why the disciples were always asking him, hey, when are you going to wipe out our enemies and establish Israel as the one true you know, kingdom under the one true God? And Jesus always responded with something as an, it is not yet my time or something more ambiguous and definitely confused them. Because guess what? The Son of God was a, was a revelation not yet revealed. And think about it. No one had ever seen Jesus Christ revealed. No one had understood the Son of God yet. And yet, when we look at this, we think a pagan God who had never understood the God of Israel is able to look into the fiery furnace, see a divine figure of some sort, and go, yep, that's the Son of God. That's Jesus Christ. He doesn't even understand the Hebrew God yet. He doesn't understand the Hebrew God at all. And yet we're going to sit there and say that he's the one who just saw and instantly could identify. That doesn't make sense within the context, does it? He is a pagan king who just, who's burning these people for not worshiping a pagan god. He wouldn't even recognize, mean, it's one of those things where it's like he wouldn't even recognize, you know, Jesus if Jesus, you know, slapped him in the face. He was very confused here. And he actually says later on, like, hey, you guys clearly serve the true God, okay? Um, and you see, and if you just even look at the verbiage that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar uses there, you'll notice the fact that he uh, changes his wordage on how Oh, this is the true God of Israel. But it's not the son of God that he's referring to. He's talking about a son of the gods or a son of the gods. He's going, 
oh my goodness, there's something in there that is supernatural and that is divine, and I don't understand it. He, he looks like a son of the gods. Now remember, to them, they believed in their gods, their pagan gods, were like our, were, were like us, were like uh, people. They had sons, they had fathers, and they they procreated and everything. That was a pagan belief. So it makes sense, it makes more sense that a pagan king who had never, ever known anything about, you know, the one true God of Israel. It makes no sense that he would, he would be able to identify the Son of God, you know, the second member of the Trinity, when even Israel had yet to identify such. Does that make sense? If you actually get into the Aramaic here, which is why uh, it is largely agreed by the vast majority of translators and scholars, that it is the Son of God. Uh, or a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar was merely commenting on this very confusing divine figure that he was beholding in front of him that he had never seen before. So, uh, a more accurate reading, and one that makes more sense within context, is that of the ESV, for example, where it says, He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the force is like a son of the gods. There's a moment of awe here and confusion, which is why he got close to that fire, which no one else was even getting close to. So when we're, when we're looking at this, guys, it's important that we don't become obsessive over some of these things. And we don't just naturally assume uh, the church tradition or New Testament revelations over your um, Old Testament text. You know, if you're looking, if you're reading through the Torah and things of that nature, and you're instantly, you're always pulling from this to make it fit into your Old Testament, you're really kind of, I think, sometimes doing a disservice. I know we, we Christians want to always look into the Old Testament and be like, oh, it's always pointing to Jesus. It's always pointing to Jesus. And in many ways, that is true. But we have to make sure it's pointing to Jesus when it's pointing to Jesus, and we're not just shoving Jesus into the text, if that makes sense. So, guys, um, I hope this was helpful for somebody. If you've ever heard this, uh, this particular passage brought up uh, as to why this means uh, the son of gods or the son of the gods as opposed to the son of God, I hope this was helpful for some, some of you. Maybe some of you who are a little shell-shocked still out of King James Onlyism or still very confused and this is a text that you looked up and that's why you're here. I appreciate you being here. I hope this is helpful. Uh, my goal of this channel is to be a blessing, not to actually divide people. Even though we call ourselves the church split, we don't want to cause church splits. We actually love the church and we care about the church and we care about the truth and we want to get to the bottom of these things, which means we want to have these tough conversations. And sometimes that means we risk offending people. We risk being wrong too. Sometimes we are wrong and, you know, I have no problem looking back and correcting those areas where we are wrong. So anyway, um, thank you guys for watching. If you haven't already, like and subscribe. That will be a huge help and share these videos along. And if somebody is uh, going to, you know, brings this, this up, send them this video and you know feel free to comment below either you loved it or you hate it if this series has been a blessing to you please let us know and if there's another thing you'd like us to tackle be, feel free to reach out to us so anyway thank you guys my name is will and this has been the church split take care